As we begin our time in God's Word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings we've already enjoyed in worshiping together. Lord, I pray that now as we open your Word and seek to understand who you are and who we are as a part of your family and as those who are to abide in you, Lord, that you would work through your Word and through the Word that is preached, that it might build up and edify, that it might bring life where there is only death, that it might reveal light where there is darkness, and that you would work through me, your humble servant, to bring these people to your kingdom if they are not already a part. If they are, then they would be ready to serve you as they go out from this place. pray that you would bless us now in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to be in John chapter 15 as we continue our study in what it is to be a disciple. We're uh, going to be working through this, like I have already mentioned, for the better part of this year. And as we work through this, we're going to try to understand and define what a disciple is. And we started out doing that by looking at all the ways that Jesus talks about his disciples. And we saw first that a disciple is chosen by God, that to be a disciple is to be called out to follow Jesus. If you remember all the stories of Jesus calling Matthew or Peter and Andrew and all these different disciples, he would walk up to them and call them to follow him. So to be a disciple is to be chosen by God, to be called out to follow him. And last week we saw that a disciple is loved by God And as a result of that love is to love others. So this morning we're going to see something very similar to that idea as we read another read about another characteristic of a disciple. And that is this. A disciple abides in Christ from whom he receives the motivation and power to obey Christ's commands. I'll say that again because that's the main point of the sermon. If you don't get anything else, I want you to get that. So if you're writing it down, here it is again. A disciple abides in Christ from whom he receives the motivation and power to obey Christ's commands. So to see that, we're going to read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, and then we'll work out from there to look at what this text means. So follow along with me as I read John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. God's word says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So from this passage, I want to look at three simple points. I want to look at the vine, the branches, and the fruit. So first, let's consider the vine from verses 1 through 4. So the Gospel of John, if you study the Gospel of John, you can study it around these seven I am statements that are made by Jesus throughout the Gospel. And Jesus, at various points in the story, in fact, one of them we just studied last time in John chapter 6, Jesus will declare, I am something. And so, for example, in John chapter 6, he declares, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 10, he declares that he is the good shepherd. And here in our text, he declares that he is the true vine. And these are, each time Jesus makes these statements, these I am statements, he is giving us an allegory, which is sort of this image or story that is meant to point to a truth about who Jesus is. And so in our passage, Jesus forms this allegory by declaring himself to be the true vine. Now, obviously, anyone with a head on their shoulders realizes Jesus is not literally a grapevine. But what Jesus is drawing us to think of is what it means that Jesus is a vine and we, as his believers, his followers, are branches. So first, we need to understand why it is that Jesus calls himself a vine or the vine, the true vine. So vines and grapes, if you think back to your Old Testament reading and reading through the, the, the Bible, you can think back to the images of vineyards and grapes in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of this imagery of uh, grapes and vines and wines and vineyards and all of that stuff. And in the Old Testament, the prophets, particularly Isaiah and Jeremiah, referred to Israel as the vine of God. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, Jeremiah writes, I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Also, vineyards symbolize the blessing of God in the promised land. Y'all remember the story in the book of Numbers where the, the 12 spies go into the land of Canaan to see what it was all about. And they go in and they, they go to a particular valley where there's a lot of vineyards and they bring back a cluster of grapes that they have to carry on a pole between two men because the cluster of grapes 
is so big. Now you go to Walmart and you get you know a cluster of grapes at the at the largest one might be like this, but this is so big and so heavy that the two men have to carry it between a pole. It was a symbol of the blessing of the land and the the promised land that God would take the people of Israel to. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 11, God promises the people of Israel that they will inherit a land, and this is quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 11, that says that they will inherit a land that has houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Lastly, the temple itself was associated with the vineyard of God. So uh, the historian, the ancient Jewish historian recorded that the temple of Jesus' day had a, a, a beautiful sculpture of a grapevine over the entryway to the temple. And so when Jesus declares himself to be the true vine, I believe that he has all of that imagery of the Old Testament, all of that imagery of the temple art, and all of the imagery of the the nation of Israel that they had grown up with. He has all of that in mind, and he's drawing out all of those symbols to point to something that we cannot miss about Jesus and about being his disciple. As the true vine, Jesus is the true Israel. He is the chosen one of God who completely obeyed the law of God and represented God to the world, something that the nation of Israel failed to do. Jesus is the true promised land. In Jesus, all the blessings of God flow to those who believe in him. And he is the true temple of God. Remember, he's told the Pharisees in John chapter 2 that if you tear down this temple in three days, I will build it back. And he was referring to his body, that he would resurrect his body. Jesus is the true temple where forgiveness and restoration are found. You see, there's a beautiful thing about Scripture. Now, you can read Scripture as just a bunch of disconnected stories that have some you know, little life lessons here or there, and you can get some morality from it. And if you read it that way, you miss the beautiful picture of God's work of grace in this world. You see, throughout the Bible, there is a vine that's growing. There is a vine of grace that weaves its way through the story of what God is doing in this world. That vine of grace In that vine of grace, God takes different people and he grafts them into that vine. So think about uh, Seth and Enoch and Noah and Abraham who were all grafted into the vine of God's grace. And that vine grew and it expanded and God grafted in Isaac and Jacob and Judah. And yes, there were times when that vine grew, but there were also times when God pruned that vine. So when God judged the Korites when they rebelled against Moses in the wilderness or the whole generation of those who wandered in the wilderness were judged by God and pruned of that vine or the exiles that were taken away into Babylon. In fact, in the first century or by the first century, it would seem that this vine of God's grace had been pruned back all the way to the stump. But God made a promise through the prophet Isaiah 
that at this most dismal moment, he would prove himself to be gracious. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You see, Jesus is that shoot. He is a descendant of Jesse through his son David. In Jesus, that vine of grace would extend to every people, to every tribe, to every nation, to every tongue, that God's grace would grow like a vine into all the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. But in order to be a part of that vine of grace, you have to abide in it. And that leads me to my second point, which is the branches. Jesus continues this analogy in verse 4 by stating, I am the vine, you are the branches. To be included in the vine of grace that God is extending out into all the world, you must do two things that we find in verse 5. First, you must abide. And second, you must bear. So first, the grace of God, to have the grace of God, you must abide in Christ. So we've been you know, on Wednesday night, we've been working through the Pilgrim's Progress, which is a, a book from the 1600s, uh, and it's an allegory of its own. And in that story, the, the main pilgrim in that story, his name is Christian, and he is walking the narrow way which symbolizes Jesus, uh, the way of salvation and the way to Jesus. He's walking on this narrow way on his way to the celestial city. And as he's walking down this road, there's a wall on both sides. And he's walking along and all of a sudden, two men jump over the wall and get on the path with him. One is named Formalist and one is named Hypocrite. And he confronts them and he says, guys, Y'all can't be on this road unless you go back to the cross. You have to start at the beginning of the road, back at the cross, before you can ever be on this road and walk on this way. And Jesus says something very similar in the, this same verse, in verse 5. He puts it this way. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's not to say that people don't try to walk on the way apart from Jesus. It's not to say that, they, that people don't try to make it to God by their own way and by their own means. In fact, I would say that most people try to make it to God without Jesus. They try the way of formality. Some people think that, you know, if I just carry out the right rituals, if I just get perfect attendance at church, if I just go through the right, uh, uh, right means and I do the right things, then I'll be saved and I'll be okay with God. Other people try the way of hypocrisy, which is to have outward righteousness, to, to do things so that everybody else sees them, so that uh, they value the fact that people think they're a good person. But the truth is, on the inside, they don't have a repentant heart of faith. And there are a number of other ways that people have tried to be acceptable before God. But hear me on this. There is no way to please God apart from faith in Christ. As Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You will be a withering vine that is good for nothing else than to be burned. To be a part of this vine of grace, 
you, of grace, you must abide in Jesus Christ. Right. Second, a branch bears fruit. In Romans chapter 11, Paul uses this very same analogy of the vine and the branches to explain why Jews of his day weren't coming to faith in Christ, why they weren't receiving the gospel. And yet it seemed that Gentiles throughout the world were receiving it in mass. And he says that it is as though God is grafting in wild branches, that's the Gentiles, into the vine and cutting off the natural branches, which are the Jews. And I think Jesus means something similar here when he talks about the branches that produce fruit versus the branches that don't produce fruit. So I'm, I'm a wannabe gardener. Uh, every year I get the, I, I put, I plant, in fact, just yesterday, Micah and Harmony helped me plant potatoes and I try to grow tomatoes every year and I try to do all these different things. And usually my problem is that I experiment too much. I, I don't consistently grow the same thing. But I want to be a gardener. I just am not very good at it. But those who are master gardeners can do things like what Jesus is referring to here. They can take a wild branch and they cut it and they cut a V in that, the end of that branch. And they go over to a tame grapevine and they cut a V into the vine and they stick the branch into the vine and they wrap it with a piece of cloth, which is what we call grafting, right? And if all goes well, then that the vine and the branch will merge and the nutrients and the genetics of the, branch, of the vine will feed into that branch. And what's fascinating about it is you can take a wild grapevine, which we do have in, in Butler County, Alabama, and you can graft it into a tame uh, hybrid uh, uh, grapevine that's got uh, thousands of years worth of lineage. And that wild grapevine branch will produce the fruit of that tame vine as a result of that grafting. That that vine enables that branch to produce fruit that it normally wouldn't produce. I don't know if y'all have ever eaten a wild grape, grape uh, but it's not worth eating. It's a little sour. But, the, um, but the, it'll produce fruit that it otherwise could not produce on its own. But if you're like me, sometimes that branch doesn't take and it withers and it dies. And so Jesus says that in order to uh, be a true vine, if you are going to prove yourself, as he says, to be a true vine, then you must produce fruit. Just as a branch that doesn't take to a vine does not produce fruit, so too uh, anyone that is not in Christ cannot produce the fruit that we are called to produce. What Jesus is saying here runs contrary to our modern view of what it means to believe in Jesus. See, abiding in Jesus isn't something that you just did one time at a revival. Abiding in Jesus isn't just the simple knowledge of who Jesus was. Abiding in Jesus isn't even an occasional emotional experience 
when you consider the story of the crucifixion. Abiding in Jesus is a life that is dependent on him. And as a result of that life that is dependent on him, you produce fruit. The faith that endures, the faith that is truly saving, is faith that results in a change of the heart that produces fruit. So, what is this fruit that we're to produce when we abide in Christ? To answer that, let's look at my third point from verses 12 through 17. So these living branches that are grafted into Jesus, they abide in this vine of grace and they produce fruit. In verse 12, Jesus tells us what this fruit is. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the fruit that we produce when we abide in Jesus Christ is to love other people. To love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love our neighbor, to care for those who are unfortunate and who are oppressed. We produce the fruit of love as a result of abiding in Christ. We abide in him and as a result, we love others. Now, we have to be careful here because there could be the terrible tendency to want to work backwards from what I just said. So we might, you might hear what I said and you might think, okay, in order to abide in Christ, I have to produce fruit, which in order to produce fruit means I have to love other people, which means I need to work really, really hard at loving other people if I want to be accepted in Christ. If that's what you get from this sermon, you have heard me wrong. Okay, I am not saying that you need to work harder at loving other people. What I'm saying is, if you want to produce the fruit that God expects of those who are in him, then you need to abide in Christ. You need to live a life of repentance. You need to rest in Christ. You need to repent of your sins. You need to trust in his sacrifice and resurrection. You need to rely on his Holy Spirit and his word. And then... As a result of your rest in him, you will love other people. As we said last week, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so now you love others. It is not love others that I might love you, but I have loved you, so love others. So Jesus tells us this same thing in two ways in this passage that we've just read. In verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus says one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture. Verse 14, You are my friends. It is because of the love of Jesus that we are able to love others. It is because Jesus has made the Father known to us that we are able to obey His commandments. Jesus gave His life for His friends. And so we are to love as He loves. Second, the second way that Jesus proves that this abiding starts before our fruit is produced or that our fruit can only be produced by abiding in Him is in verse 16. Jesus 
proves again that bearing fruit starts with him and not with us. He says, notice there, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So, one of, like I said, one of the things that we could do is make the mistake of thinking, oh no, I'm not producing fruit. And if I'm going to be accepted before God, I've got to produce fruit. So I need to work on my love. I really need to get after it. And, and I, need to, uh, I need to be more forgiving. And I need to be more compassionate. And if I'm going to be accepted before God, i really got to work at this. But notice that Jesus doesn't say that we need to get better. He says... I have chosen you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Oh, how beautiful it is to realize that our membership in the vine of grace isn't dependent on our obedience or our goodness, but on God's choosing of us. His grace alone is why we are able to produce fruit. As Jesus tells his disciples, I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. If Jesus did not choose us, if he did not appoint us, if he did not give us his spirit and his grace, we would be withered, useless vines that would be good for nothing other than to be thrown into fire of hell. So friend, to receive the grace of God, you must abide in Jesus Christ. To abide in Jesus is to repent of your sins and to believe in His Word. To abide in Christ is to believe that He died for your sins and that He rose again from the grave and that He will one day return to bring you to His eternal reward and one day He will judge the world in righteousness. Won't you repent and believe the Gospel today? Brothers and sisters, we cannot live in love apart from Jesus Christ. We must abide in Him. We must rest in His grace. We must feed on His Word. And as a result of that, we will produce the fruit of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Christ, who is the true vine who gives us the source of grace that we need to live for Him. And Father, I pray that it, when we try to uh, go our own way, when we try to be righteous apart from Christ, Lord, that You would turn us back to Him. That You would remind us to abide in Christ, to rest in what He has done, to rest in His Word, and to not try to live by our own means or our own righteousness. And Father, I pray that the, the result of that would be that we would abound in love for one another as we live for Christ. Father, I pray that you would bless us now as we respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So as the musicians come, musicians come